Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to the Mortification of Spin. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined, as always, by Carl Truman and Amy Bird. And it is, uh, as we're recording this, it's uh, just a, a couple of days after the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's Day, uh, which means it, it gave a number of rather large and famous churches the opportunity to cancel services on Sunday, December uh, the 30th, just as we saw happen a couple of years ago when Christmas and New Year's fell on, on Sundays as well. And so we, we were witness once again to this interesting phenomenon of particular well-known, typically mega churches, uh, canceling uh, Lord's Day services. And Amy and Carl, I kind of want to get your take on this because the reasons that these various churches were giving were varied, although they were all connected, but it was, thing, it was you know, their public announcements were things like, hey, you know, go home and worship with your families. This is a, you know, quote, one said, this is a great opportunity uh, to, to worship with your family. Um, some of them uh, promoted this idea of canceling services on Sunday as a, as a chance for, for us to give our staff and our volunteers a break. Although, although it's interesting, uh, the churches that I saw in this uh, also had links to how to give online. So we, you know, we're, still, we're still giving. <laughs> don't, don't withhold your tithe, but just don't come to church on Sunday because we're not having services. So uh, again, we've seen this before when, when they cancel services on, on Christmas Day and or New Year's Day. But, but once again, we see this, uh, this trend. And, and interestingly enough, one of the the churches that canceled was the, the church who, whose pastor is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, which, which is interesting because as long as I'm still talking here, I thought I'd read to you just the, uh, the statement from the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Their, uh, their statement on the Lord's Day is this, the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus. Now, there's a few things that we Presbyterians can affirm, certainly, in that statement from our brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Convention. Namely, the first day of the week is uh, the Lord's Day. It isn't just any other day that just out of a sense of prudence we decide to have services, our brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Convention agree with us. We call it together the Lord's Day, and it is to be accompanied with both public, uh, meaning our, our gathered worship, both public and private um, acts of worship and devotion. So it was a bit ironic that the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, that his church uh, would cancel services on a Lord's Day. So what do you all think? Well, I think one of the things one would want to say at the start is, you know, we'd have to introduce, a, I think, a few qualifications uh, that sometimes churches do cancel worship on a Sunday for legitimate reasons. Remember at Cornerstone, I think we had a power failure one weekend, the church was freezing, so we, we canceled the worship service. Uh, another year we had uh, blizzard conditions. Mm-hmm. 
cancel the service. Yeah. We're not talking about that here. No, this, no. Is, this is not a situation where uh, the material conditions have made it impossible to meet. We're right. actually talking about having a Sunday off from right. worship or from corporate worship. Right. And that's odd because, of course, the, the Lord's Day is meant to be your day off. Right. It's your day off from all the other stuff. And, right. You know, often, you know, Christians so heard sometimes say, well, I don't have time to do, to do this church thing or that church thing on a Sunday. And the question is, well, if you haven't got time to do it on a Sunday, mm-hmm. when do you have time? Because Sunday right. is supposed to be the day when uh, you set aside the things of the world and prioritize right. the things of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So, My question then, tied to that, because we agree, at least in print, Presbyterians and Southern Baptists agree, at least on paper, that there's something significant about the first day of the week. We both call it the Lord's Day. Now, you'll find some Southern Baptists who will say, listen, you know, you know, Jesus is our Sabbath. He's fulfilled it all. And so, therefore, the fourth commandment belongs to the ceremonial law and not the moral law. In fact, interestingly enough, Michael Horton says that. I'd love for him to change his mind, but Michael Horton says that, that the fourth commandment does not belong to the moral law because Jesus is our Sabbath. Now, that is a very much a small minority view among Presbyterians. And at least on paper, uh, the view of Southern Baptists is that this is a special day. We call it the Lord's Day. And so, therefore, while we may disagree on to what extent certain things should and should not be done on this day, we agree that it is a day that is set apart enough that we call it together the Lord's Day. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would say, though, that the you know, Sabbath observance, as it used to be called, is probably the one thing that is most under pressure in contemporary American society. And what we mm-hmm. see in the church here is a capitulation to that. Right. Uh, whether it's a, a workaholic culture or an entertainmentaholic culture, uh, the Lord's Day has come under huge pressure from the wider culture. And, you know, it seems to me that quite probably when you speak to the typical Christian who's not observing the Lord's Day, they're unlikely to come up with sophisticated arguments based on Christ fulfilling the Sabbath. More right. likely it is they've never been taught about it. They've never thought about it. They've simply imbibed the rhythm of the world around and assumed, hey, there's nothing sinful in skipping church on a Sunday morning if it happens to be Super Bowl weekend and right. I want to, want to catch the game or something mm-hmm. like that. So uh, for all of the, the sophisticated arguments against Lord's Day observance there may be, I suspect that the vast majority of Lord's Day breaking Christians are not being driven by principal arguments of that kind, sure. but are simply being driven by mm-hmm. the, the spirit of the world around. What do you think, Amy? You've got young kids and of course right. it's often put pressure on what one does on a Sunday because yeah, a lot of pressure. kids' Sports. lives are organized today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, you know, I have athletic children, so we've always been up against this travel ball dynamic of um, Sunday games, Sunday morning games, traveling, you know, those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, my daughter's not participated in a lot of her sport because of that. Right. And so like we've really had to talk to them about the meaning, not only of the Sabbath on Sunday, but the whole meaning of church. And I think mm-hmm. that's another thing that's really missed. There's so many layers to that statement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, why we go to church, what is special 
about meeting with God in that corporate way with ministers, ordained ministers? What is their role? What are we receiving? There's so many elements. I mean, I, and I don't think this is just a difference between like how Baptists or Presbyterians might look at this because as a conference speaker, so many times in Presbyterian churches, mm. I have been invited to speak for a women's retreat that goes into Sunday. Right. And I've often, and um, I write about this in, in No Little Women, because I've often had to say, I do not, I cannot take the place mm-hmm. of corporate worship on Sunday. I can't take the, the place of you sitting under the preached word of God and, and receiving the ordinary means of grace um, you know, some of them will say, okay, um, you can leave on Saturday <laughs> and we'll continue. And, and We haven't changed our mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then some of them will say, well, that's too bad. You know, we really want somebody to stay till Sunday. And others even have, and I don't know what you think about this, but they even have like one of their elders come lead a service just for them yeah. at this retreat. And so I'm wondering, is this a misunderstanding of, of the worship service or is this just separating women, you know, like it mm-hmm. isn't that cute. They have their own little thing yeah. and you know, they can miss a Sunday. Yeah. I've, I've seen the, though the same thing with men's retreats and youth retreats as well. They okay. go over into Sunday. And I, I think it's primarily, I think your point about it being primarily a misunderstanding or, 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 or a, a not well-developed right. doctrine of worship is, is mm-hmm. what it is, which of course is connected to our, our understanding of the Sabbath and the significance of, of, of what happens in those services. And so that, that kind of leads into the question uh, dealing with the ordinary means of grace. Right. And when we talk about the ordinary means of grace, if that's a new term for anybody, we're talking about those things that God has given to his people to grow us, to, to sanctify us, to continue to conform us to the image of Christ. So we're talking about those. And by ordinary, we're not talking about powerless or boring. We're talking about the things that God ordinarily uses mm-hmm. to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the preaching of the word, the prayers of the people and the fellowship of the people, um, the, the, um, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, those things that God has given us. And, and so when a church says, hey, you know what? This Sunday falls right near Christmas. And so let's just not meet on that Sunday. Um, what grieves me about that is that when I hear a pastor saying that, I hear a pastor saying, I'm, I'm going to deprive God's people this week of the very means that God's given them, the very means God's ordained to grow them in grace and knowledge. It would be interesting to know as well how many small churches do this. You're only going to hear about Mm -hmm. the big churches. It's only going to be J.D. Greer or Andy Stanley or somebody Mm -hmm. like that uh, that you hear about. It's not been my experience anecdotally driving around, looking at church signs, that sort of thing. Uh, it doesn't seem to me that small churches do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because if, if there's a church that might have what we might call an excuse to do it during a holiday season, it might be a small church. It's easy mm-hmm. to imagine a church of 50, 75, 100 people can't get hold of a musician for that Sunday right. so that there can't be any singing or have to be a cappella singing. Mm-hmm. Maybe the minister has serious family commitments that take him out of town and it's just impossible to find somebody to fill the pulpit mm-hmm. during the holiday season, at which point I can imagine a little church, a small church, canceling its service and, and encouraging its people to go to another church right. to encourage others. What's interesting here is this is a big churches. Mm-hmm 
for which that's not going to be a problem. They're going to find right. somebody to play the organ or the guitar or whatever whatever leads the worship. The, digi- the didgeridoo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the didgeridoo. I'm a didgeridoo player, actually, so don't mock the didgeridoo. <laughs> oh, oh, but, uh, not. not in church, though, just yeah. in my own private uh-huh. space. We, we can picture that. <laughs> yeah, my wife would say she wanted to be a didgeridoo, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the kind of things that restrict sort of church where I was a pastor, and have an impact, they're not going to apply to these mega churches. No. So of all churches that have uh, no reason whatsoever to cancel service, it should be the big churches, and yet yeah. it seems to be the big churches mm-hmm. that do it. Yeah. And that implies to me that the significant thing about that church is not that it's that church. It's not the church part of that. It's the leadership team that have to be on display or have right. to be there running everything or else it's not worth taking place. Mm-hmm. Am I being over cynical here or? No, you're not. Um, I mean, Council I think a Broadway what, show if the lead can't make it, for example. Of, of, of course. And, that's and, what we're and, looking at here. Oh, the big guys can't be there. The top band can't be playing. Right. So there's no point in meeting really. Yeah. And, and having come out of genuinely mega church culture i can tell you that that's always a big part of it um uh, if if the central character if the central actor is not there it, it's a temptation to cancel but i think another thing that that's that's at work here is that um when they say things like hey we're canceling services on this sunday to give our our volunteers and our and our ministry team uh, a, a break um I think that that probably says something also about if the production you put on on Sundays is so taxing mm-hmm. to the people in charge of it that that you'll cancel everything on on a Sunday to quote give them a break then you're probably doing it wrong. One of the great principles of the reformation in terms of worship was simplicity. Um that that worship was to be simpler than what it had become. Uh, in the church with all of its drama, etc. And, um, and so you'll see a real zeal for that in, um, in the early days of, of the Reformation. Um, everything from, uh, well, well, just the, the, the whole thing was pared down and, and, and simplified. And, and that probably, when I look at the production values that go into some of the mega right. churches, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how they do it every week. And if you look at their staff pages, Mm-hmm. on on their websites you'll see um, multiple staff full-time staff in terms of of the production of what goes on mm-hmm. from from video to, to lighting um, all of these kinds of things and yeah you if you're able to have a competent person running your your soundboard if you need that um, but you have multiple people on staff just over the carrying out of the production right. that goes and on I, on Sundays I mean I think a lot of churches do pare down over the holidays, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, a good thing. And it's kind of, you know, sure. they might not have Sunday school that, that right. Sunday, or they right. might combine their worship, ser- two yep. worship services into one or, or something like that. Um, but not cancel the service. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and if you did that, you can always say to people, you know, you say, we've not been able to locate a preacher or an organist or a pianist for this Sunday. Uh, we're going to have to cancel worship. Please go to another local church yep. to encourage the brethren there. Yep. You know, go and find would, another gospel-believing church where your presence might actually be an encouragement to the pastor yep. and the elders, and you actually would still benefit from the proclamation of right. the word. 
And of course, I would I would go further and say if 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 you're a small church and your piano player cannot show up, then sing some songs a cappella. Yeah, one of the best well, services I ever went to. The electricity had gone out, but it was summer, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we still we still gathered outside, and yeah. um, you know one one guitar unplugged. Right. It was beautiful. Of course, hey, in the old Free Church of Scotland. We would just sing a cappella psalms. Well, I think one more element, just as we're closing up, to talk about too, is just how we interpret um, the royal priesthood of all believers. Because it really, like that statement, you know, just go worship with your family. Mm-hmm. I feel like it just kind of shows how our culture, it's interesting because in evangelical circles these days and reformed-ish ones, there's been a lot of talk about authority. Yeah it's been flattened into people like usually men, right? Mm-hmm. Over men having authority over women. And I think that it's been so misplaced um, instead of like linking it to the authorship of God, the triune God speaking to his people. And then who's authorized to do that mm-hmm. ordained ministers mm-hmm. and the interpretive community that it's connected to mm-hmm. then at church, Kevin Van Hooser's written really well on that topic that, you know, Royal signifies authority and priesthood signifies interpretive community and all believers kind of shows that individuals aren't autonomous agents, Mm -hmm. he says, but citizens of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So there's that covenant community connection. there. And, you know, Ephesians chapter two, Jesus himself gives to the church certain offices of ministry. Among them are pastors and teachers. And again, you know, the, the, the great, the supreme privilege of the pastor is to feed the flock. It's mm-hmm. not only a supreme privilege, but it is su- his supreme responsibility. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't imagine, you know, of course, Carl mentioned earlier, you know, if you have a blizzard, you know, we're not talking about that, but, but I can't imagine being a pastor and saying, you know what, this would be a great opportunity for us to not gather on the Lord's Day. Right. I can't, ima- I can't imagine yeah. that. You have to question the knowledge the theological competence of the pastor and the elders at these churches. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'd gone to the elders at Cornerstone and said, hey, I think we'll cancel worship this Sunday, and then said, why? And I'd say, well, because I think we just all need a weekend off and people can worship at home in their families. I'd have been in serious trouble. Why? Of course. Because my elders actually understand theology. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And I think this raises a serious question mm-hmm. about the theological competence of the leadership of some of the churches that have been proposed as the flagship models, right. not for the loony left in this church, right. in, in this world, but for the mainstream, conservative, broadly reformed evangelical movement. Yeah. And you can bet your life those questions are not going to be asked by anybody in a position of authority to ask Correct. those questions mm-hmm. Correct. because it will upset the alliances, upset the, the apple cart. Yeah. That's one of the deep tragedies here. I mean, Mark Dever put out a, a sort of a tweet about it, but he didn't name names. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all the leadership guys, yeah. nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Right. Some of this stuff needs to be addressed directly. Yeah. If you have call, a high-ranking position in the Southern Baptist Convention, you need to be called out by name when you do this kind of stuff. Absolutely, and and particularly when when your own statement of faith as a denomination says this is what you do on the Lord's yeah. Day. Yeah, that's a problem. And um, you know, I, I, th- I that's not to say these people are wicked, by the way. No, 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 no. Somebody here is is theologically incompetent. They, they, they have a, a bad. Way. Yeah, they have a bad theology of the Lord's Day, a bad theology of the ordinary means of grace, and. You know, and it could be that in some cases they are, they're so out of touch with their people that it's hard for them to see that. And what, what I mean is every 
week and almost every day of the week, I hear from people in my church, either through email, texts, or bumping into them in coffee shops, about what that Sunday service meant to them. You know what I mean? After services, I have conversations, these great conversations with, with members of the church I serve that talk about you know, what the Lord's doing in their hearts, how they were ministered to, and that kind of thing. They need those gatherings. Mm-hmm. It, how inappropriate is it to say, you, you get a break from that. I minister to people mm-hmm. who look forward to those Sundays, who come together. Come to because, receive. Exactly, because the Lord speaks to them, because he's promised to do that in his word, to, to deprive that and say, this is a great opportunity. I, I just can't get my mind around that. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think this is a topic that we're going to have to continue to come back to. I mean, I know that um, I find the whole theology of the church to be a topic that I notice over and over again to have weaknesses, even in, you know, good churches um, among the congregants, if not the officers themselves. And I mean, it's something I've written about in every single one of my books because I just feel like it's so connected to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how we view the church. So um, this is a topic I do hope we will return to. And like you said, we're not trying to be personal about this, but this is something that we definitely need to continue to address. Um, So I want to thank our listeners today for uh, listening to us. I hope that you have been blessed by our talking. I hope that you also have a strong theology of the church already, but if you would like to learn more, we have a gift that we are offering over on our website, mortificationofspin.org. You can register to win Kevin DeYoung's book, Good News, We Almost Forgot. It's a devotional guide to the Heidelberg Catechism. It's published by Crossway and go a little deeper into some of the things that we were talking about today. So that could be a helpful resource for you. And while you're over there, we also have, um, we also have a button where you can donate uh, to the podcast if you would like to do that. We are very helped by your donations and we appreciate them. We look forward to talking with you next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... He actually Skypes with a lot of people complaining to him about how it's ruined their, how his book has ruined their lives. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> They're pretty strong. Uh, and then he interviews people. He travels around America. Was, was that hard for you when I ruined your life? <laughs> Is that frowned upon here? <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. And while you're over there, we also have um, 
We also have a button where you can donate uh, to the podcast if you would like to do that. We are very helped by your donations and we appreciate them. And until next time, I don't know. What do I say until next time? How about this? How about this? How about this? And we look forward to forward to speaking to you next time on Mortification is Okay. There you go. That's why look- women shouldn't preach. <laughs> <laughs> they can never they can never get the conclusion right yeah they're not yeah, empowered that's enough. why you figured it out i can't believe that wasn't in scripture somewhere <laughs> okay let me say it and we look forward to talking with you next time on mortification of spin i think we should close with the whole of that because i think the screw up actually is quite <laughs> <laughs>